Hey, this show is made possible by Key Person of Influence, which is a 40-week accelerator program designed to make you more visible, more valuable, and more connected in your industry. You can grab a free hard copy of their New York Times bestseller, and I've got to tell you, it's a good read, over at keypersonofinfluence.com forward slash Timbo. We're also lovingly supported by Web Central, who are creators of beautifully effective websites and online marketing programs for small businesses. You can grab an exclusive listener deal. There's three of them over at webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. Imagine if your dad bought an old rundown airport in a major city and then gave you the opportunity to turn it into a world-class airport, one that people love going to, one that gets talked about internationally, and one that is incredibly user-friendly. Well, that's exactly what happened to today's guest. And boy, oh boy, does he share some marketing gold. Yeah, I say, welcome to a small business marketing show. Where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Timbo Reed. And welcome back to another episode of Australia's number one marketing show. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You? Infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you are ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. Big show today. We are joined by Stephen Byron, whose family own Canberra Airport. Now, don't think for a minute that you have nothing to learn from a bloke whose family owns a large airport, as my chat with Stephen is basically a masterclass on how to create a user-friendly experience for your customers. Some really great insights Stephen shares very shortly. I also share another low-cost marketing idea for you to implement immediately in our favourite segment, What Have You Got To Lose? I'll give you a hint. Today's idea is all about spying on your prospects. Should that be allowed? You'll find out very shortly. And we revisit a past episode in which I caught up with Jim, that is Jim Pinman, from that legendary Aussie brand, Jim's Mowing. Hey team, as per usual, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Now, coming up, I share another easy-to-implement marketing idea in What Have We Got to Lose? But for now, allow me to introduce you to Stephen Byron, who has been the Managing Director of Canberra Airport since his family bought it back in 1998. Now, back then, as Stephen describes, the airport was a fairly unimpressive place, certainly not doing justice to Australia's capital city. Since then, Stephen has led a transformation of Canberra Airport, spending around a lazy $2 billion, that's with a B, not an M, in airport infrastructure, a new terminal, a retail precinct, and three business parks which accommodate more than 10,000 workers. Pretty amazing business, right? Now, you might be thinking... What can I, the small business owner, learn from someone who owns a big airport? Well, I've got to tell you, plenty. 
What I love about Stephen's story is the lengths he and his team have gone to in identifying what annoys people about airports, then set about solving each and every one of them in the new design. Now, this is quite simply a story about how to create user-friendly products, services, and customer experiences. I think you're going to love it, guys. I started off by asking Stephen, why am I always the guy who gets asked to do the explosive test after the security screening? Um, There is a reason for that, and that is that the security guys have an inherent bias to attract people who aren't likely to argue with them or pick on them. So you're being chosen because you've got a good-looking, nice, friendly face. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Goodness me, I would have thought I'd be the opposite, six foot four and imposing, but clearly they they can see beyond my height. They they can. Interestingly (laughs) enough, about four weeks ago, they changed it, so now it is completely random. So there's there's a process that identifies people on random number and the security screen, and now doesn't have the choice and they have to select the person that's been randomly chosen. So uh, it's a much better process. And I, I do feel sorry for those guys because and girls because they do get a bit of heat. It's that silent treatment, you know, when you're asked to come over and do that test. It's like, oh, really? Really? Here we go. Don't it's all fine when we've got time, but when we're <laughs> running late, it's a bit of a drama, isn't it? <laughs> now, Stephen, at some point prior to owning Canberra Airport, your family must have owned a small business. In the spirit of this show, what what was that business? Well, well, uh, my father owned a property trust business um, and was one of the first property trusts listed on the stock exchange in 1982. And it was a very small business of only five million dollars then, um, and it and it grew. Um, but that was a business capital property trust that uh, he and his brother, George Snow, had, and uh, they sold that business in 1996. Freeing up a bit, of, freeing up a few dollars to build an airport. Well, it did, and and they had been watching the then Labor government's uh, plan to privatise the Australian airports, and it identified that the Canberra Airport would be something special. And it was interesting that uh, that it was 1998 when Canberra Airport was sold, and and the Howard government had come in, and the the Costello budget cuts had come through. So Canberra was in a very negative place, um, on a downward spiral when. This asset was sold and our family decided that we'd take a long-term view and try and purchase it and turn it into something better. Paint a picture for us because we've got, obviously, listeners from all over Australia and the world. What was Canberra Airport like prior to you getting hold of it? Well, you'd have to say it was pretty run down and neglected. It had been starved of capital under a government ownership model. Um, the, the, the political seats in Canberra are very safe Labor seats, so we, so we never got the new terminal. In fact, I think Fraser gave our terminal that was going to come in 81 to Launceston in a marginal election campaign. <laughs> um, so we had a basically a tin shed and we say we also had a sheep paddock and, and we did because uh, the area south of the terminal that is now Brindabella Business Park was mm. a sheep paddock. There were sheep grazing there and when we said to the farmer that we'd bought the place and we're going to uh, build a business park, he said, that's fine, I've heard this sort of stuff before, give me a call in six months so I'll bring the sheep back. <laughs> I'll buy it back off you for a uh, for a peppercorn rent. Yeah, that's right. But but it was a rundown. I mean, even the runways were were pretty under strength. Um, they were they were only able to handle the old seven three sevens, which are lighter than the new seven three sevens. So, you know, basically every bit of the infrastructure we had to do a do a do over on, and obviously that took us some time to sort of work our way through the process. It's an undertaking 
I, I can't even start to get my head around. My son, who did business management uh, in final year of school a couple of years ago, we used to play a game where we'd drive around and he'd point at businesses and he'd say, Dad, how does that business make money? And more often than not, I couldn't answer him. Um, when you're talking about an airport, you, those infrastructure costs, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I think a number's been quoted of $2 billion is what you've put into it, but... But how do you, where do you start and say, okay, we are going to build an airport, we've got to build runways and terminals and it just seems enormous. Well, I think where we started was, was where we almost gave up in the first year because uh, in those days Ansett and Qantas owned their own terminals so we had no control or say in those and we went on a tour of the smaller airports in Europe um, where the airports were things of great national pride and it was recognised the importance they provide in stimulating the local economy and growing tourism and tra- travel and all that stuff. And we came back and we, abs- we we almost were flummoxed and said there is no way we can get the capital together to build a terminal befitting of Australia's national capital. And, and Terry said, you know, can we almost give it back and get our money back that we paid for it? Um, but but did, of course did he really? you couldn't. It, did, did he really say he that? He honestly said that and he didn't. Just say it. He, he sort of meant it, um, knowing that it was impossible. But he did mean, how do we get out of this? Because we can't do what I want to do. He wanted to build the best small airport in Australia and, and in, sorry, in the world. And that tour gave him that ambition even more clearly than ever. But it also said to us, how do you do it when the airlines were, were doing it so tough, when there was so much volatility in aviation? How do you build a business to invest in aviation infrastructure when they're volatile? Just hold that thought. Do you, Terry, I don't know your father, but I'm guessing he would be, uh, it, well, describe him, tough, um, belligerent, I don't know. What do you, what's the word? A classic small businessman that is driven to achieve the things that he wants to achieve. He's a, he's a big dreamer for a small businessman. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, you know, how he... How he achieves his dreams is is to to dream the outcome and then try and find the pathway to get there and and be doggedly pursued. Um, so when he and said, he's been a, a great driver. When he said we we need we could almost ring the farmer up and hand it back. That that's a big statement coming from a man like that. Were you, were you shocked? Oh no, because I understood exactly what he was saying and feeling, and and it was, in fact, ring the federal government back and say, listen, you do this. This is absolute. This is sort of almost impossible mm-hmm. to, to get to where we want to get to, and and with so few tools in our hands, you know, not even really owning the terminal, we just had a land lease over the, the terminal to Qantas and to to Ansett, and very little ability to control anything, very little ability to to have a new airline or a low cost airline come into Australia or Canberra. We were just, you know, not in charge of our destiny and not knowing how we could do anything. So um, because you can't give the land, well, you could sell the land, but, you know, so where was the turning point that said, okay, we're in, we are we are in? Well, we said what we've got to try and do is develop another income stream that's independent of the aviation risks and, and that part of the economy, as it were. So so we hit on this thing of developing a business park that would have income from office-style or, or even initially we thought industrial-style property tenants that would have five- or ten-year leases that would be independent of airlines nice. going broke or, or all of the challenges. And really that was part of what we spent the first five years trying to do whilst, whilst developing the plans and ambitions and designs for a terminal um, – 
we spent the first period of time building what has become Brindabella Business Park, um, which is a, a leverages off the airport and the economic activity here. Mm. Um, it leverages off the defence and aerospace industries and then the IT industries, and they're things that Canberra is very, very strong on. And we've now got, you know, some of the, the best corporates in Australia and indeed the world, the, the Raytheons, the Cisco's, the NEC's, but in Australia, wow. the KPMG's, Accenture's and Deloitte's. Did, did that attract, that, not detract, did that bankroll the building of Canberra Airport? It, it, it did over time and, and it gave us what we say are the financial lungs to then be able hmm. to go to the banks and say, now we want to fund uh, building a terminal and, and fund building a new runway and an extended runway and strengthened runway and really the, the complete makeover of the aviation infrastructure. There must have been a few, maybe haters is the wrong word, but a lot of people looking on, standing behind that farmer going, these guys are fools. Yeah, there were and, and you know, in a in a what was then a smaller town, Canberra's a much more thriving business centre. There were the, the sort of the competitive jealousies, which, which if you like, are, are just good old-fashioned businesses yeah. not liking competition. And we were delivering competition in some part because we were delivering something that was new, very vibrant, creative architectural buildings set in um, a wonderful landscape setting, taking great responsibility for the amenity between the buildings and the maintenance of the landscape so that people who came to work were really inspired by being here. Um, we built the first five-star Green Star building and, and my brother Tom Snow led that. Um, but that was the first one built not just in Canberra but in Australia and and that helped us stamp the quality of what we were doing. And, and I suppose it's one of Terry's overarching philosophies that the quality wins out in the end and it particularly overcomes the critics' um, if you do the very best, then eventually the critics don't have anything to stand on. Well, let's talk about quality because uh, it, it's a pretty heated topic, airports. So I went out onto this show's Facebook a couple of days ago, Stephen, and uh, suggest, said I'm interviewing a fellow whose family have built an airport. Uh, I didn't say which one. And I asked, I just asked a simple question, what annoys you about going to an airport? I didn't realise just how opinionated and how much of a hot topic it was <laughs> because, you know, and, and I think you can always judge it by the amount of response you get on Facebook. It's a good barometer for, for how people are feeling. And I got a lot of responses and nothing will surprise you from uh, queues to time it takes to get through the scanners to the cost of parking to the cost of food to the low quality of the food to the expensive duty-free to the dodgy toilets to the way people queue at the luggage carousel um, on and on and on it goes. Quite heated. So tell me, for you, because Canberra Airport has challenged all these things and solved a lot of them, what's the critical factor or process that you went through in building an airport that people love to go to? I mean, I suppose the first thing before I get exactly to the people and the customers that we're thinking about is we did decide to start again because I think the big problem that so many airports in Australia or around the world have is that they've inherited something that's, that's not good enough or been incrementally done and, mm. and, and the piece-by-piece piece additions yes. have been largely, you know, have elements of dysfunction that, that, you know, reflect historical decisions of 20, 30 years ago, even before um, the airports were privatised. Um, yes. So we decided that we would do it all brand new um, and it wasn't easy building a brand new terminal and keep the current one going particularly as we decided to do it in the same spot. Mm -hmm. But we said, we're going to build something new. And, and the first principle we said was, well, 
the most important thing for a traveller is to make sure they get their flight and they don't miss it, mm-hmm. and for the planes to be on time and to be fast, friendly and easy. So that really culminated in the design that involved um, a roadway that comes up to the front of the terminal where you can see the terminal. So there's no lack of clarity when you're driving to the airport. And then there's no pedestrian crossings that slow you down because, you know, even if you're not running late, sooner or later those pedestrian crossings end up putting you in a running late position and the stress starts. Mm. So we got rid of that and our car parks are on the side and you can enter the car parks independently of, of the cars that are being dropped off to drop people off with taxis and the like. Um, you can then come into the terminal and we had a big central atrium um, and we knew that security was going to be the big thing. It was obviously post-September uh, 11 uh, from New York. So security was the, the next key piece to remove the stress and remove the queues. So as well as putting in quite a number of lanes and a, a nice open area atrium to house it in, we said that our staff who are, who are security contractors first and foremost, they could also be helpful and friendly. So we dressed them in soft green uniforms rather than military police-style hmm. uniforms and, and we put on their back here to help. And that's a culture that goes through all of our staff but also all of the people that are contractors in the terminal, whether it's cleaners or security, that, you know, sometimes people don't need a lot of help. They just have a tiny question and they want a tiny answer. But the culture of being having a smile on your face and being open to... To, to someone might, uh, asking a question really infects part of what we offer here. And then you touched on the toilets. I mean, for us, the toilet experience is very, very important. Yeah. Um, it's not only got to be clean, it's got to be smart. Our architects and in-house guys worked on making sure that, you know, there were minimum touch points and you hardly have to touch anything and that you can easily take your bag in or out of the bathroom with you. Yeah. Um, and I think people realise that, that that if you have a toilet like that, one that's not dirty and so on and so forth, that, that it is – it reflects an owner that is caring for the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, as you're going through all this, and I'm thinking about uh, business owners that are listening who also need to make significant changes in their business – it is – you had the luxury, I think, at two levels, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the existing airport – kind of had to be pulled down. You couldn't build around it. Um, and secondly, yeah, you, right. you had the funding to do what you've been able to do, I'm guessing. Um, others can't don't have the luxury. And part of that was Outlook. Okay. Tell me about that. Part of that was Outlook in terms of, you know, why did we have the funding and why didn't we take short-term economic return decisions? Uh-huh. Um, and part of it was that we're building an intergenerational business to, to, to be long, long-term owners. So we're not sort of short-term developers or needing short-term returns for this year's quarterly superannuation report. Uh-huh. And indeed, we've, we've essentially uh, very rarely taken any dividends out of the business. We've, we've left and reinvested, really? and that's how, if you like, the cash flow has always worked, is that whenever we've been spending and whenever we've been talking to the banks about needing to borrow money, we say, well, at least half of this is going to be funded uh, by the existing cash flow of the business because we're not going to draw a yeah, dividend. Right. And that's exactly what small business owners do. So obviously we're a larger business now, but we treat ourselves as a small family company in our culture and outlook. Um, it, it also goes to that, that same issue of customer service. Um, you know, we live 
and breathe in the community as do our staff and that means that we it's easy for us to think like customers and it's easy for us to to make sure that we care about the thing, the little things that matter and that it's worth spending the money to get those smaller things right. And, and I think that is that small business mentality. Okay, so there's so much there. Brilliant, brilliant. By the way, listeners, I'm speaking to Stephen <laughs> Byron, who is the Managing Director of Canberra Airport and whose family also have, happen to uh, build and own it. Um, you, so the big lesson there is like there's too much short-term thinking. Um, we need to take a longer approach and and that way our mindset changes as to what we can and can't do. Certainly. The, the, the second thing is how, how do you, – you are a big, big business now. I don't know. what do you, What's the terminology? You have a market capitalisation or put, – put size around it because my question is how do you remain small business-minded? I don't get that. Um. Well, we have 100 staff and we've grown to that level from what was essentially probably 25 staff when we started Mm -hmm. 18 years ago. But each member of our staff, no matter whether they're long-term senior managers or brand new staff who've just joined, joined our business, understand our culture and values that essentially revolve around treating the place as their own and, and the money in the business and, and the customer service in their businesses as being their own. How does that physically play out beyond lip service? Because I get you've got, I love the fact that you've got here to help on their back of their uniforms and, but, but is there a weekly meeting? Are there KPIs? Are there awards? What do you do to make sure that, that that's real and not just lip service? Um, I almost don't know. And as you started asking the question, you know, I don't quite know why does it translate and why isn't it just words or meetings talking about team chance? I suppose it's the fact that we also empower our staff and, um, you know, we back them, we don't criticise them and, you know, like, like all of us, sometimes mistakes are made. But the people that, when we do that, whether it's me or anyone else in the business, you make a mistake, you see it and you take responsibility for it, you fix it, you ask for help. And, and so we're interested in, in doing all of that. So it's a culture where there is responsibility without blame, but there is accountability to fix the issues that need to be fixed and a deep-seated desire to do that and, and to serve our customers. It, it, it's also an aspect, John. Well, I was going to say I wonder too whether if I can answer my own question for you, you might not see it, but being a family business, there's something special about family businesses. I worked for one for about 10 years and I've worked for businesses, large corporates that aren't family and there is a distinct difference and it's actually hard to put your finger on. Um, there's, there's almost a love and, and a care that doesn't exist in a non-family business. I think that is right and I think that goes to the level of respect that is between all of the people that work here is, is seeing that, that sort of family and personal meaning meaningfulness um, but but, it, but it's also returned and, of course, the staff are treated as if they're family and they, they are part of this family. Mm. Um, funnily enough, you spend, you spend probably more time with your work family than you do with your home family. So, uh, so of course, they're family, mm. um, and and it is a shared project. It is, you know, the desire to deliver the, the sort of quality of service we do day in day out is a shared project, and people 
people support each other in doing that and, and equally share the success that comes along with, with delivering that. I just want to go back to the conversation we were having around creating a user-friendly airport and a, a, an experience that people love to be a part of um, because, again, there's a lot of business owners listening who want to create a more user-friendly experience in their business. Can you just – other things that you did and how, how you identified them? I, I think the main thing – was to we've always taken the philosophy that we're in a service business and, and you know people say on oh, airports an infrastructure asset or an infrastructure business um, we're a service business just like a hotel so we look at at each part of the process through the eyes of the customer because we we live and breathe it you know you ask do we have KPIs on queues or on stuff. Well, we don't because we just make sure that we, we live and breathe it and focus on it mm-hmm. um, and look at it through the eyes of the customer. So so every bit of even the bathroom experience and the where you go from washing your hands to drying your hands to then getting your bag to walk out and where you put your bag in the cubicle, all of those elements we looked at exactly through the eyes of the customer. So so at the end of the day, everything does come back to the customer and, and what's important to them is obvious to us because we live it just as they live it. Love it. Was there a little bugbear of yours that you actually eyeballed the architect and said, listen, I hate this about airports, you must do this? I mean, there were, there were a few and I can't hit the nail on, oh, on the really? head on one of them, but... but but, but 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 one that's a bit more general but is our taxi rank and you know mm-hmm. it is a frustration in Canberra that that sometimes we don't have enough taxis and they're busy in the rest of the city so it takes a little bit of time so we said well well how do we solve that problem well let's have an indoor taxi rank because in the middle of summer it can be damn hot and yeah, on a wow. cold breezy June evening it can be a bit cold so we said let's have an indoor taxi rank and and I mean I think we all sweated on how to make that work and it was that same thing of the the little incremental elements of how to make that work and yet transition from the the inside to the outside and and yet deliver the sort of experience that that fixed up what what is a problem and and I suppose part of customer service is making the the main things the good things work and work well and effectively but then honing in on what are the things that aren't right and do cause people aggravation and going the extra mile on that. You've even got you're one of the first airports with an Uber lounge? We are. So we've got an arrangement with Uber that encourages Uber to use the airport and encourages people to use Uber. Love it. We have a dedicated Uber pickup lounge and, and that helps us solve that problem as well. And, and you know, pe- some people like Uber and we should help them use it and some people don't need or don't want to use it and that's fine as well and we should keep working on making our taxi service better. Did you, did you break any new ground? I mean, I don't, I don't know how many new airports are built around the world each year. I'm guessing not many. Is, is there anything in particular, Stephen, where you have done it for the first time? Um, there were a whole range of things. <laughs> um, things, you know, even our aero bridges were, were custom designed and, and we bought them off a German company um, who manufactured them in China and we ordered initially um, – 
six of them, we ended up getting 12, but we initially ordered six. And when we started saying, well, we want this bit changed and we want the glass to be both sides so people can see and it's really nice. And we actually want air conditioning in the Aero Bridge for summer and heating for winter. And we had, and, and then when you put that, we don't want it to be ugly and put on the top of the thing so it sticks out like a sore thumb. We want to design it this way and the ladder to service that we want you know, looking so you can't see it, these guys are going like, seriously, you blokes are buying six of these things and you care that much about it? <laughs> oh, I love it. They were, selling t- they were selling 200 of the same thing to Beijing Airport. Um, anyway, what's interesting is all of our custom changes have become their standard high-level specialised product that they sell around the world. Goodness me, and that's that's some uh, young blokes from Canberra telling a German company what to do. That would have been an interesting conversation. Um, <laughs> tell me, uh, that's right. The, the, the Gruen transfer. Now, besides being a popular TV show in Australia, it's also well before that it was a concept. Which uh, and let me uh, define it for you, just in case. Uh, it says that the Gruen transfer is the moment when consumers enter a shopping mall and are surrounded by an intentionally confusing layout, lose track of their original intentions which makes them more susceptible to make impulse buys. So I love that. And I think the Gruen transfer also plays out in casinos where you lose track of time and day. Um, does How does the Gruen transfer play out at Canberra Airport? Um, I suppose we've specifically designed our terminal with the retail in a secondary place um, that doesn't reflect that. We don't want a confusing environment when people come in. Um you know, we have a terminal that has probably the least amount of signage of any terminal in Australia, and yet we have the least amount of problems with people finding their way. Hmm. And that's because it is clear where you need to go. It's it's the elements you see as you come along. And as I said, it, it starts when you drive into the terminal precinct, sorry, the airport precinct, is you can see the terminal and it's obvious that the beautiful glass frontage is the terminal where many airports around the world are just obliterated by car parks even if they've got nice architecture i I tell you what you know terminal four at tullamarine melbourne is it i still can't find it (laughs) still still, it still doesn't come natural to me where i actually have to turn in order to get there so uh clearly you've done a lot better job than they have and that's the issue then comes into the terminal and you come into the space and there's this this atrium that runs from, you know, where you enter from the car side to the plane side and, and it's that defining that space with a, with a very high ceiling and with angles in the design. And, you know, we had the architects, Guy to Mosley Brown, who did design Parliament House in Canberra. They hmm. won a competition with this design and, you know, they, they deserve a huge amount of the credit as well because of the fact that you can find the different ways um, we would love there to be more retail at Canberra Airport. Um, obviously, we're a bit held back because a lot of our travellers are business travellers mm-hmm. that are members of the Virgin Lounge or the Qantas Club, and that means that, you know, Don't hang up around. There, the beer and the coffee is well-priced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so we don't have as much retail as we'd like. But regardless, our retail is there for people to, to use because it's, it's secondary to the primary thing, which is people getting through easily and quickly finding their plane and, and in our sense, minimising their dwell time at a domestic airport component um, where they can, you know, get to the airport late but get their plane on time and, mm. and be efficient and enjoy the experience. You must have absolutely, uh, dare I say, wet yourself when you saw that BBC documentary, Cities in the Sky, 
on air a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible, wasn't it? it was, <laughs> for, for those who haven't seen it, I mean, it basically takes you through the entire uh, behind the scenes of, of, of airports and, and plane building and everything. But boy, oh boy, some of the behind the scenes of those bigger airports like Atlanta and Dubai were quite incredible what goes on. Um, well, I guess it's a bit like an iceberg. The, the, the user only sees a, a very small component part of it. That's right. And, and you know, one of the you know, sadder things, I suppose, about the security environment which we have to operate is you can't easily expose the, the baggage systems and the complexity of the backroom stuff to mm. people. And it is very impressive. But again, I suppose our, our opportunity was to start from scratch to, to not end up with, you know, 15 different levels of add-ons and add-ons, and but to make it sensible and to have infrastructure where it's easy for the airlines to grow. I mean, we will see very, very significant growth at Canberra Airport over the next decade because we're not going to be constrained. Mm. Well, well, you know, Canberra, you're almost like the apple of airports at two levels. One is you've, you've managed to find the intersection between beautiful design and wonderful functionality for, and technology. And the other thing is, you know, like I always say with Apple, computers, I suppose, generally, but particularly with Apple, what you see on the interface is so beautiful and intuitive, but what's going on behind the scenes is just, you know, it's like a duck paddling underwater and um, you've managed to find that, that wonderful intersection. Just just to finish on, Stephen, um, before we get to our five quick questions that are completely unrelated to anything we've been speaking about, marketing <laughs> an airport. What, but marketing, the best marketing is, um, you know, a great product, but, but what role does marketing play beyond that? Well, marketing plays an important role in presenting the business opportunity to airlines, and I particularly mean in terms of international airlines. So we had to paint a picture and a marketing uh, position of, of of international flights that would work out of Canberra Airport. Um, we pitched that to a number of airlines, but uh, particularly we eventually got there with Singapore Airlines, and they now fly uh, four flights a week to both Singapore and also Wellington. Hmm. And part of it was explaining not just the airport and the facilities and marketing how easy it would be for them, but the catchment and, and how the catchment around Canberra is 900,000 people quickly moving towards a million and that it would work. And you know, the proof is in the pudding. The hmm. services have been very successfully taken up. So a lot of the marketing that you would do would be business to business, correct? Going and, and marketing yourselves, pitching yourselves to the airlines, reminding just what a great airport it is, building the international traveller, etc. That's exactly right. Mm. So it's so it's sort of business case or business marketing in terms of a, a business opportunity. And, and the same is true in terms of uh, low-cost airlines. We have to market to Jetstar and Tiger to come to Canberra Airport you know, Canberra as a, as a city has a fantastic tourism offering now. It's really being yeah, it the new the new gem, the new jewel that's being discovered. And I think part of that is that social media is providing people with a, with an insight into Canberra beyond just the news from Parliament House and the politicians. And they are now seeing how fantastic the place is. And you know, our, our tourism numbers for domestic travel are only um, about nine and a half percent behind Adelaide. 
And in the last 12 months, we've been growing at 12% per annum. So we're only about a year behind in terms of the number of domestic tourists in Adelaide. Um, we're well ahead of the whole of Tasmania. Hmm. And we think that now with Tiger Airlines starting uh, services between Canberra and Melbourne in December, that we'll see further growth over the near term and, and people taking advantage of access to this new tourism product. Goodness me, what what a wonderful uh, a wonderful set of outcomes! Uh, you must look back uh, at that time when your dad said uh, this could be a bit hard and kind of laugh. Well, at least kind of have a smug smile. Well, <laughs> well I think that I think neither well the laugh now and it's certainly not smug is partly that it, it has taken eighteen and a half years to be yeah, an overnight cor- success. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know the things are coming together, and I suppose that's a function of taking that long term view. But but. Really now it's the opportunity to leverage off what's here, um, both in the domestic and the low-cost carrier market mm. and then also in international. And I, I think we'll see more international carriers use Canberra. We don't have a curfew, so you can do the flights overnight. Um, and, and we're sort of on their radar, whereas before we were, you know, in reality, talkers that were treated as pretenders, but now we're real. Love it. Stephen, are you ready for your five quick questions to finish up on? Yeah, I'm sure you're going to catch me out on something. <laughs> well, it's not Trivial Pursuit, but here's the first one. What are you curious about? Where society is going to end up for the, my children in an mm. era of social media and oh. the positive and negative impacts of that. God, don't even get me started. Sorry. I can stop there. <laughs> well, I'm a father of three teenagers and my listeners know how I feel about that. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, sweet or savoury? And what dish? Um it's a bit savoury flavour, but really it's as sophisticated as high-quality horseradish with a very good steak. No, horseradish, one of the most overrated flavours on the earth. Uh, but, hey, what would I know? Um, what's the worst advice you've ever been given? Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. You've got to sweat the small stuff. Yeah, right, and you certainly have at Canberra Airport. What's one thing you wish you were an expert on right now? Um see how long it'll take for, for there to be more growth in international. So it's, I think you still want to be able to look to the future and know where it's going to end up. You want of course, we never ball. do. Crystal ball. And finally, when were your parents most disappointed with you? Oh, that's a tough question. When I let them down by doing the wrong thing. Oh, yeah? What was that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which one? Breaching their trust, okay. just, you know, not doing the right thing, Love having it. a party, having a party at home when they weren't around. Oh yeah, we've all done that, eh? and I've got as again three teenagers. I'm, I'm living that right now. Stephen Byron, um, thank you for sharing some wonderful insights uh, from what is now a big business that was once small, and uh, there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from what you've done with Canberra Airport. So thank you. Thank you very much, Tim. Very generous. Well, there you go, team. Stephen Byron, owner of Canberra Airport. Jeez, I was a bit harsh on the old horseradish, wasn't I? Mind you, not a big fan at all. (laughs) Coming up, I share my top three attention grabbers from that fireside chat with Stephen. But first, here's a word from two businesses that want to help build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. 
Support for this show comes from Key Person of Influence, the world's leading business accelerator program for those wanting to be an industry thought leader. Their five-step KPI method teaches you how to nail your pitch, publish content, productize your offer, raise your profile, and partner with performers. I asked co-founder Glenn Carlson, what's with the P fetish? Oh, yeah, I suppose it is a bit of a fetish, isn't it? But I guess we're just a bit obsessed. You know, fetishes, obsessions, we're, we're, we're just business geeks, mate. We believe there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur and we're all in. We are just all in. And if we find best practices and ideas as a result of what's working for our clients all around the world, we just want to bring it to people. And so far, the best framework that we've found to be able to do that to really accelerate that entrepreneurial journey in the shortest time is the five Ps. So, mate, get in on the fetish. KPI, we're fetishes rule. For a free hard or audio copy of their Amazon bestseller, visit keypersonofinfluence.com forward slash Timbo. Oh, and a little warning. Don't read it before bed. You just won't sleep. Support for this show comes from Web Central, who love building small businesses' websites that not only look great, but get you more customers. I asked Verity Ma, their chief marketing officer, to share her top three business website must-haves that are simply non-negotiable. The three must-haves for an effective website, I think, starts with a clear call to action. So when you get a visitor to that website, what do you want them to do? Also, the website needs to be mobile-friendly because there's a huge growth in the number of visitors coming from their mobile, searching while they're out and about. And then finally, a professional design that reflects your brand. Because if you think about it, the first time that a potential client or customer interacts with your brand is on your website, they're going to have an immediate view of what your website does and whether you're trustworthy. Web Central, helping you build trust online fast. Check out webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo for exclusive listener offers. All right. Here is what grabbed my attention from that fireside chat with Stephen Byron of Canberra Airport. Number one, I love his focus on user-friendliness. I mean, what business shouldn't have a focus on that? No matter whether you're selling to consumers, to other businesses, it doesn't matter. A focus on user-friendliness is paramount. Tom O'Toole, in a previous episode, talked about it. I think his question was, would you buy it? You know, that's a good question. Dom Holland from tow.com.au, T-O-W, he talked about with his website, everyone's coming to your website for one thing, give it to them up front. That's user-friendliness. So I guess the question is, how can you and your business be more user-friendly focused? Uh, and go about implementing some ideas that come from that question. Attention grabber number two, dream the outcome, then work backwards. Love that, hey? Uh, Very Michael Gerber-esque, wouldn't you say, in that interview I did with him recently, talking about uh, going from a a company of one to a company of a thousand. Start with the, uh, the dream. In fact, his first step is the dream room. Remember that? Go back and listen to that episode. Absolute cracker. Still getting talked about. Uh, Attention grabber number three, here to help. I like that, how it appears on all staff uniforms. Help being the operative word. That's why I wrote a book about helpful marketing. Helpful marketing works, right? Are you being helpful in your marketing? 
Stephen and his team have gone to the extreme of saying on their uniforms, we're here to help. But I really like that. And uh, if you want to buy the book, smallbusinessbigmarketing.com is where you'll find it. I'd also love to know what grabbed your attention in that interview. So head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 341 and let me know. Hmm, what else have we got, team? Let me see. What's this button do? That's a good button. I like that button. It means it's time to share one simple yet effective marketing idea that you can implement immediately. One that won't cost a fortune, if anything, and it might generate you more sales. I like that. Today's idea is to play Big Brother and watch where your website visitors go. You know, you can learn a lot about your prospects and the effectiveness of your website without actually having to talk to your prospects. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't go out and seek feedback from people eye-to-eye, face-to-face. You should, absolutely. But there are also other strategies and methods you can use to gain the insight you need to make the right changes for your business, right? One such way is by using monitoring tools to track how people use your website. Doing so gives you the opportunity to gather incredibly helpful, actionable data without having to bother your prospects. And you know what they say, you can't manage what you don't measure. So here's my three steps to implementing this tip. Number one, create an account on crazyegg.com, which is a tool that allows you to track hot zones on your website. A hot zone's like a heat map, you know, that illustrates what people click on and what they ignore. Step two, once you've got that Crazy Egg account, use it to collect data about your website. Remember, your goal is to determine if there are any changes you can make that can help boost website conversions. This is not complicated, I promise. Go and check out Crazy Egg. It will become very clear. Step three Interpret the results and make any necessary changes to your website in order to attempt to influence your visitors and boost conversions. Now, here's the pro tip, team. Never stop doing this once you start. It becomes a bit of a a rinse and repeat process. So you can make the changes to your website, give it a few weeks, then go back and look at the crazy egg data again. You with me? As always, there will be links in the show notes to the resources I mentioned. You can head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 341. Plus, I'll also include over there an example of a website heat map generated by Crazy Egg. Hey, if you'd like help implementing any of the ideas you hear in this What Have You Got To Lose segment, go ahead and join the Small Business Big Marketing Club, where I will personally support you on your marketing journey. So... What have you got to lose? Okay, that almost wraps up another episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show. Plenty of marketing gold coming your way in the weeks and months ahead. Don't you worry about that. Hey, a while back, I chatted with Jim Penman. He's the Jim in Jim's Mowing, that classic Aussie brand. Here he is sharing his view on marketing. Advertising as such 
is, is to me a very, almost a trivial part of marketing. Mm. The vast majority of our work actually comes from people knowing about us, people hearing about us, people who used us before, people who see us driving by, people who know somebody who's used us. People who focus too much on advertising, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bad mistake. I, I overwhelmingly, 98% of my attention would be on the experience people have after they call us. And I'm endlessly, endlessly pushing that. And I, I'm not always very popular either. I, I push people a lot. <laughs> Jim shared some absolute gold in that chat, including his very rigid approach to inbound and outbound calling. In fact, he was in the Jim's mowing dedicated call centre during that chat. To hear my full interview with him, plus hundreds more, head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com or I would love you to subscribe free on iTunes. Hey, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, tim at timreid.com.au. Tell me, feedback, comments, something you'd like improved on the show, deleted, I don't know. I've got a thick skin. Or you can hit me up on Twitter, Timbo Reid. Now, be sure to grab a free hard copy of the Key Person of Influence book over at keypersonofinfluence.com forward slash Timbo. But only... And I mean only if you want to become more visible, valued and connected in your industry. And remember, you now know three things your website must do in order to be effective. They're not overly complicated, but probably require a little bit of time to implement. So why not hand that responsibility over to Web Central? You can check out their three exclusive listener packages over at webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. Hey, if you love the show, tell another one or 10 or 50 small business owners that you know about it. Until next week, I'm Timbo Reid. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now. Bye for now.